The title of our sermon today is He is Risen. Real clever of me, right? <laughs> real, real. You like the way I worked that in there, right? <laughs> bet, you, bet you didn't see that one coming. Uh, turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I hope today is a light-hearted day. I hope you enjoy what we're saying. I hope it is time for you to reflect on where your heart is based on the king of all creation. Uh, we are in a world that says that we should all kind of have our own freedom to think and do as we will. Uh, I, love, I love America. I love the fact that freedom is such an important piece. But I want to make sure that I'm doing this thing correctly. Uh, here at this church, we, have, we feel like we have a standard that God has given. We know that we have a standard that God has given, and it's all of our responsibilities to measure ourselves versus what the Word says. Whether you've been raised in church, whether this is the first time that you've ever uh, set foot in a church, this is the standard that we all have to live up to. God loved us enough that He actually gave us an instruction manual. He gave us a book of love letters. He gave us a history book. He gave us everything that we need right here to be able to figure out His will for our lives be cruel if he decided that he had a will and wouldn't reveal it to us there's a plan out there and you've got to kind of muck your way around until you maybe perhaps trip across it no we actually believe that because of the resurrection power we can know exactly we can know the god of all creation we can know him who is unknowable and in any other way we can see that which is invisible and make it part of our lives luke chapter 24 We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read some scriptures today. We'll have some up on the screen for you. Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. On the very first day of the week, very early in the morning. Everybody say very early. early. The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Okay, so um, we want to have the illusion of the first time, right? So if you're reading this, uh, go ahead and put yourself in these two ladies' shoes. They had actually known Jesus personally. They, they were touched by his ministry. They were influenced by his love. They saw him laugh. They saw him cry. They saw these things. And now they're there because they're going to the tomb because their hearts are broken. The one that they loved, the man that they had, they had never met anyone like him, and they are now at the tomb trying to do what they could as an honor to him and to his dead body. When they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Wow. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Kind of amazing. They heard him say it the first time, but I don't know if you're like me. I need to be reminded of things. All these things go on, and then they remembered, oh yeah, he did say that. Oh, yeah, the Bible does say that. Oh, I am supposed to be doing that. I just forgot. I'm getting to the point in my life, and if I don't write things down, actually, it's not usually writing it down. If I don't put it in my phone, that's why sometimes you will talk to me, and as we're talking, I'm just going, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, wait, hang on. I'm listening. I'm right here. I'm actually, look, I'm writing down what you are saying, because if I don't put it somewhere, it just kind of flies off. I love that the Bible is here for us as we pursue this, like manna, our daily bread that we come, we come back to it over and over and over again because we as humans, uh, we forget. And even if you don't think you forget, you forget the urgency of it. You forget the importance of it. You forget the real, the reality of what's going on. Turn to John chapter 20. Look to the right. John chapter 20. You'll hear us in our church and as we call out a Bible a scripture passage, you'll hear people say there. It is not only to identify that they have physically found the chapter and the verse, but we say there because we want to make sure that our hearts are there, that we are present with what we are reading in the Scripture. So if you hear that, you're welcome to join in, say there if you've got your Bible, uh, or just understand kind of what our our in-house customs may be. John chapter 20, verse 1. 
very much a similar part of this story. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. By the way, if you don't know, that's John, who's writing the book of John. But he goes, you know, the other disciple who Jesus loves. <laughs> you know, I love that. Just say your name, man. It's all right. Um, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Even the people closest to him. Look, what's, what's the, one of the worst things that people fear in the world is death, right? Well, I guess that in public speaking. But from death, there is no recovery. Well, we don't know where they've put him. They couldn't possibly envision that something else other than someone hadn't taken the body from there. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, right, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So John was a track star, apparently, at least compared to Peter. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. John got there early enough, he got to look around before Peter got there. That's how much John outran him, right? Then Simon Peter uh, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. At this point in the story, here's what, here's what I got captivated in. Um, this picture of Jesus' tomb, they're in this cave that Joseph of Arimathea had purchased for himself, and he had just dug out this, this cave. Um, that's why they had the rock over it. Okay, so we're not thinking of a, um, um, of a funeral home in a box there. We're actually kind of tucked away in a cave, and there's this little shelf. And on this little shelf where, Jesus, where they put Jesus' body are these two angels sitting there. Just sitting there. They look in and they're sitting there. And what I realized in that moment is it reminded me of something else. And, and, and those of you uh, who are at our church, we're, we're, we try to study the Word with fervency. It reminded me of the Ark of the Covenant all the way back in the Old Testament. The symbol of God's presence. We talked about some of this on Wednesday night. If you were here, we encourage you to come. We have Monday night uh, foundations classes, which can get you as much. Uh, it's kind of like a college you can get your college degree in Bible. Actually, there's no degree, but it's, uh, it's like you'd be studying in a college. It's, it's some of the best teaching around, so I encourage you to come to that. But in the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God's presence was, was a box. It was just a box covered with gold. And they had two angels that sat with their, with their wings that went over this. And this place was called the mercy seat, where the blood of sacrifices was put. And so when I, when I read this passage, I was reminded, I went... In my brain, that looked just like the Old Testament. Two angels sitting there where the blood had been poured out, the very mercy seat of, of heaven. Amen. Now I went, God. Um, one of the things that if, if you stick around us long enough and if you study your Bible long enough, you start realizing that this story is more than just about a guy we call Jesus who came to earth you realize that there are level upon level and layer upon layer and big detail and the most intricate fine detail that speak to this throughout the history of the Bible. I, I did this the other day. Uh, my father-in-law, Bob, Miss Jenny, my, my wife's parents are here today, and uh, I had my Bible out the other day, and, and Bob and I were talking. And here's what I wrote down. I literally just flipped through the pages of the Bible. I started in Genesis 1. Um, I'm, gonna sh I'm just going to read to you in the next 30 seconds what I wrote down. This is not exhaustive. It was not meant to be exhaustive. I just took the Bible and flipped pages. And if it flipped three or four, I let it flip three or four. And here's what I wrote down from the perspective of um, not only did Jesus fulfill specific prophecies about himself, uh, the idea that 700 years before Jesus was born, a man named Isaiah would prophesy. We're going to read a few of those scriptures here. 700 years. 
Um, as important as I'd like to think, as far as I know, no one prophesied about me 700 years ago. I may be grand in my own eyes at times, but I don't think that happened. And if it were just that one thing, that would be fairly incredulous. The fact that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, it happened time after time. Things that weren't even really in existence when people like Isaiah wrote, he prophesies and gives you like a snapshot. Uh, by the way, we believe that God still talks to us like that. We believe that He can reveal His will, even in things that are difficult for us to see, difficult for us to comprehend in our natural mind. Why does this person get sick? I don't know, but I believe that God can heal. Why, why is this going on in my life? I, I believe that if you seek Him out, He will actually tell you. The God of all creation is no longer in a tomb. He's no longer on a cross. And I'm thankful for those pieces, but he is a, He's risen. He's alive. So here's what I wrote down just the other day. Uh, was this yesterday, Pop? Or was it two days ago? We're going to go yesterday. We'll just call it yesterday. This is just flipping and me uh, trying to see hints at Jesus coming. Like a good movie, right? In a really good movie or in a really great, let's, let's go beyond movies, let's go to a really great book. A really, really well-crafted, a classic, whatever your favorite classic book is. What makes it a classic is there's craftsmanship in the writing. That the words that are chosen have meaning and have value. And, and once you don't know it, you're going through this story kind of experiencing these things. I think it's always better to read the book than see the movie. Why? Because my brain fills in a lot more details that I can kind of go in infinite ways. I could just think about it. So when, I, when I'm re reading here in the Old Testament, it's like the best novel ever. Because they have all these little details. And if you don't know, you're just going along, okay, that's just a story. Oh, that's just, oh, that's a neat story. But then later on, there's something that happens in the book or the movie, and you go, oh, they said that way back there. They were giving me a hint that this was going to happen. They told me that this was going to be the answer. You know, one of those movies, and they go back and they show you everything, and you're like, I saw every piece of that, and I couldn't put it together like they did. And you go, oh, genius. Those Sherlock Holmes type where they find clues that no one else can see, and it puts it all together. This is really what my attempt was of looking through the Old Testament, and I flipped, I think, just through Genesis and just through Exodus. Jesus is the Word. He's the tree of life. He's the ark of salvation. He is a covenant from a prom uh, promise-keeping God. He is the one who sweeps away perversion. He is the sacrifice offered by the Father. He is the promised Son who finds a bride. He is the one who is looking for those who won't despise their birthright. He is the blessing that is given. He is the ladder bridging heaven and earth. He is Zophanoff Paneah, the savior of the world, sold by his brothers, the dream giver, the revealer of dreams, the righteous one falsely accused. He's the one who restores his entire family. He is the fire in the bushes. He is the deliverer, the one who brings out, frees from slavery, redeems us, takes us to be his own. He is the Passover lamb. He is the power of the Exodus. He is the manna. He is the water that flows from the rock. He is also the rock. Figure that out, right? He is worthy of an altar that is made from uncut stones. He is the giver of the law that brings life. He is the one that drives out the enemy little by little in front of you. He is the pattern giver. He is the tabernacle maker. He is the presence dweller. He's the one who consecrates washes, anoints. He's the one who gives men skills of all kind. He is the one who gives us rest. I flip pages. How long did that take me, Pop? Five minutes? That wasn't trying to be exhaustive. That was literally just me going, yep, I see you, Jesus. Yep, I see you there too. Wow, see you there. I realize, for all of you Bible scholars here, I know I missed a ton. I know I could go back and remember that he's the wood that was thrown into the to the bitter water, and it made it sweet. I, I can go back and see the cross in more areas. I can see a lot more than I did. I was just trying to get, I wasn't trying to go for specificity. I was trying to go, wow. Wow. What an incredible thing. When we can sing up here, and if you're not used to our church, you know, it's a long worship service, man. Used to like two songs and we're done. Yeah, yeah, today was today, today is not our longest, by the way. We were trying to be nice. Uh, 
you're like, whoa. Uh, we just figure if God took enough, that much time to even construct the story that we're living in, surely He deserves our all. The last thing that we want to do is come up short and say, you who did all of that, and that was just through a few pages, a few chapters in the Bible. God, we could talk for years and a lifetime on all of the details that I missed just in those two books. And there's more. (laughs) I remember, um, and this this comes more from the King James versions, but I remember early in, in my parents that brought me to church when I was young, I can remember them talking about the Rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. Man, I I, I didn't even even try to go there because that's a whole other world. There's there's um, (laughs) an old clip from a sermon. I think it was from the 50s um, from from an African-American or a black preacher who was there and didn't want to bring it, but he just goes through. He just goes through kind of like I did, but with much more skill and orative power. And I think it's called, uh, Do You Know Him? Or He Is My King. And he would go through and, you know, he's the highway of holiness. He's the roadway to righteousness. He is the pathway to peace. I wonder if you know him today. Uh-huh. See, I wish I could do that. <laughs> and he goes through it. And, and this, is, this is the story that we're crafting. This is the backdrop for what we've done. This is the skill that the God of all creation says that whatever you want to do, however deep you want to look, however deep you want to go, the people who are far smarter than I, they get in there and they start going in and and ultimately they get to a point and if they really have an open heart, whatever the science, whatever the art, whatever the history, they start seeing the fingerprint of a creator. They start seeing it in every single thing in creation. There's a small particle that helps keep cells they hold together. You know what that particle looks like? I think it's called laminin, laminin, something like that. Looks like a cross. You go to the smallest particles in our universe and they start reminding us and speaking to a Savior. They start saying that God is saying, wherever you want to look for me, I'm going to be easy to find if you have eyes to see. If you'll allow me to draw you, I will. I want to be found. The God of all creation wants to be found. He wants to be close to us. That's why there's a Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. This whole story is not about a God who's angry and not about a God who's mad. He's saying, you have sinned and you've been separated from me. Come back to me. Come back to me. Well, I'm not that bad of a person. Seriously, take a look. According to this king, if he designed the program this well, if he had this much thought in how that he wanted the story to unfold, don't you think you might want to figure out how he wants it done? I would think in such an elaborate story, I can't just come in there and go, I think I'll do it this way. Perhaps, if he did all of this here, perhaps I should find out what my response should be. Perhaps I should seek him, even though I may not know how to do that well, perhaps I should find out what he wants done and then conform myself to Him. Don't get duped in this worldly thinking that says you can just do it any old way you want. God's got grace for you. Well, grace is actually a power to be holy. We make it a very passive, wishy-washy, ooey-gooey thing. Oh, just give me some grace. I understand. The grace that's in the Bible, the grace that I see from Jesus Christ, is that He gives me the power to do it the way He wants me to do it. It would be cruel if he just said, you have to do it this way, and you can't. He's saying, you've got to do it this way, and if you allow me, I'll be the one that gives you the power. Who does that? Right? Uh, So if your kids are little, and you want them to clean their room, (laughs) clean their room, right? There are different levels that that means. I'm going to pick on Gabe and Olivia here for a second. I love, I love, they're, they're here. My two oldest ones, right? They're just, they're always going to get it no matter what. So when they were younger, uh, I would tell them, and we still have the expectation that they will go clean their room. Oh my gosh, when they were little, that was like pulling teeth, right? Go clean your room. (laughs) They just get overwhelmed. They just go in a room and like shuffle stuff around and 32 seconds later, they're like, I'm done. 
<laughs> no, see, you didn't actually do anything yet. Let me help instruct you. So then what we started doing, and this, they're, they're obviously capable at this point, um, <laughs> mainly. Uh, so what we started doing is just every bit of clothes. Just go in your room, and all I want you to do is focus on the clothes. Clothes that are dirty, go in the hamper. Clothes that are clean, get folded and put away. That's all. One thing. I just want you to do this. And then you come find me. And then I will inspect that. And then I will give you level two. Level two will be now we find all our toys and we put the toys. And so I just, I segmented out the process for them because clean your room was far too big of a task. I might as well tell them, you know, build an airplane. With paper? No, you know, just couldn't, just couldn't get it done. And so God does the same thing to us. He's saying, hey, I want you to live a holy life. <laughs> that, uh, that's too big. I, uh, I don't know. But when you dig into his word, he says, this is what it looks like to be holy. As a matter of fact, in case you don't know how to do it, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a model. I'll give you an example for your life so that you can see an actual person who did actually what I'm telling you to do. And if you model your life to what I show you, to Jesus Christ, if you make that the absolute model and don't let yourself veer from that, then what you have is you know, if you know Him, you know the Father. When you know Jesus, you, you understand what the concept is. When, you, when I read the Bible now and it becomes very incredibly exhilarating, and sometimes very tiring because I can't just read a scripture, hardly. I'm like, oh, I remember this one over here, and I remember that over there. And, oh, I never saw that before because this thing is actually alive. The things that I didn't see before, the more that I dig into it, I go, oh, I see that now. It's, it's alive. The Word of God is what? It's alive and it's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. What does it do? It divides. It splits it discerns the very thoughts of, and the intents of my heart. I'm, I'm doing good. I meant to... Well, sometimes my intents are pretty bad. I'm an, I'm an adult now, so I can cover really well. Um, <laughs> have you ever... I, the other day, I can't remember exactly what it is right now, but I was doing something, and I really kind of... I just didn't do something very well, and the person I was with kind of took it in a good way, so I just kind of went with the... With that version of it, <laughs> you know, I let them go, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I meant. <sighs> and I had to go, look, oh, Lord, I'm, that was, I didn't do that well. I didn't handle that very well. I was trying to do something, and I just got all caught up, and I tripped over myself. Right? There was a, uh, I don't know if you enjoy athletics, there was a softball game the other day, a college softball game. Bases loaded, bottom of the last inning, and the pitcher was pitching and literally tripped and fell with the ball still in her hand. So it was what's known as a balk. She didn't deliver the ball. So it was, and everybody got to advance a base, and the other team won. She had two strikes on the girl, and literally trips, falls, and loses the whole thing. That, that caught my attention. I was like, oh, that's terrible for her. Oh. I do that all the time. God has set something up for him to come through and be my victor, and I kind of stumble over myself. But that's why he came. That's why we have a day like Resurrection Sunday. Exodus chapter 12. Here's a few things that help understand what this story really is all about. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month. You can consider it like if we were in the month of July, and after the 4th of July, for America, July became the new first month of the year. It's no longer January, it's now July. You can, that's a similar concept to what's going on here. Uh, this month is to be for you the first month, the first uh, month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, each man is to take a lamb. Everybody say, take a lamb. Take a lamb. 
for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. Um, if you're reading things, sometimes the little details, you can feel like it's bogging down. But when you understand that it fits in a bigger picture, he's saying, if your little family is too small, if it's just you, if it's just you and your little one, God is even concerned about you being able to do it the way that he's commanded. Even the little details he's thought about. Well, I don't have a big family. Well, I don't have this. I can't do that. I don't have those resources. He's got, I've already figured all that out for you. The way that I want you to do it is the way that I want you to do it. There aren't any exceptions. There aren't any exclusions. There aren't any ways to get around the way that he calls for us to do it. We have to come and do it his way. You are to, um, verse 5. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day. So they take a little lamb and they bring him into their household. And they inspect it. And they probably, if it were being my household, they would name it. And they would have a little bedding off to the side for the little sheep. And they would uh, care for it and they'd feed it. And, and everyone would rightfully get fairly attached to this little, this little lamb. Four days later, verse 6, take care of them to the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Uh, ew. It's kind of gross. That's, that's, so, that's so violent. Yeah, it is. Taking the family pet. Because what God is trying to do is say, hey, the seriousness of this is, is, the, is this, that sin... When we have sin in our lives, it causes something has to die to take care of our sins. God was trying to associate very early on that when sin is there, only through the shedding of blood is there forgiveness or is there remission of sin. Why? I thought God is love. Well, He is. But there's only one way that we can come to Him. There's only one way, and He wants you to understand the seriousness of it. Um, when our kids are little, we try to teach them, in our household, we try to teach them first-time obedience. First time every time. Right? I don't want my kids, I don't have to have a discussion with my kids if they're running towards the road. When, I, when dad yells stop, he needs them to stop for their own safety. They need to understand that what I say, don't touch that, that means don't touch that. Probably because it's going to hurt them. And potentially more than that. So I, I want them to understand my voice and I want them to hear me and I want them to respond to me without a lot of discussion. That's exactly what God has done. He's saying, look, you take it till the 14th, and then we're going to slaughter this animal. You know why? Because we want even the little kids to know what it's like that your sin produces death. Your sin, what you do. <laughs> when, when I used to do kids' ministry, children's ministry, we'd say it this way. What is sin? It's anything that you think, say, or do that displeases God. These were little kids. I was trying to get it to them in a concept that they could chew on it. They, it a little bit more than that, but really, sometimes it's not. It's what we think, say, or do. It's the things that are inside of us, even if our hand doesn't always do it, what I thought could be wrong and could get me out of alignment with God. So, as you're going through this, you got to slaughter the animal at twilight. Then there, uh, verse 7, then there are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides of the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamps. Not only is this supposed to be a very personal thing, I hear that a lot nowadays, that Christianity is a very personal matter. That your, that your religious beliefs are very personal. I think that where they're going with that is that they're saying, mine are personal, don't tell me what to do. I think most of the time when people say that, they're just saying, don't tell me what to do, Randy. Just don't. I want to do it the way I want to do it. I don't care if I'm not doing it this way. I'm just going to do it the way I want to do it. So I'm going to say it's very personal. That way, you can't respond to what I'm doing. God forbid you look at my life and I'm not living the way I'm supposed to and you actually try to you know, love me enough to say something about it. Uh, and we can't do that. So it's very personal. Well, this says that we're supposed to put the blood from the animal that you just slaughtered. You catch the blood in a bowl and then you put the blood take some of it and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frame. In other words, there's a mark that has to come. There's a visible mark. 
because what happens, this is the original Passover, and God says, this is how I'm going to let the death angel, uh, they're getting out of Egypt, right? The book of Exodus. So they're exiting Egypt. They're leaving Egypt. God sends all the plagues. We know those stories. He sends a total of 10 plagues. The 10th plague, he's saying, look, I've done all these things. They still don't want to respond. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to kill the firstborn. But if you're covered by the blood, if you, this mark, this sign that I tell you, you, are as, you couldn't be any more safe anywhere in the universe than under the covering of this blood mark. There is nowhere else to be safe. <laughs> That's why our church goes to Mexico, Matamoros, Mexico, with guns pointed at us. We're not trying to be, there's not trying to be a macho bravado about what we do. We're trying to go to those who are hurt because we figure there's no better place to be than under God's protection. Amen. If he tells us, then he'll protect us. And we're looking, we're ready to give our lives for him because that's the model that he set for us. So the death angel passes over anyone who has the blood applied to them. Joshua chapter 2. Turn to the right, just a few books. Joshua chapter 2. I hope this is making sense to you because what I really feel like I'm trying to do is summarize an entire Bible <laughs> in like just a few minutes, right? There's a lot that goes on here, but I'm hoping that you're catching some of the things. Joshua chapter 2, say there when you are there. there. <clears throat> and we're going to start, uh, let's start in verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof. So Joshua had sent out two spies in the land. Rahab, her profession was a prostitute. Love the Bible. Love it. I would not have, picking a, I would not have chosen a story like this. Okay, I need a main character here. Let's put a prostitute. Well, apparently, that does not bother. Uh, God can use even them. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. <laughs> the prostitute was the prostitute in the enemy's camp. She is hiding the spies, kind of spilling the beans. Like, look, everybody's afraid of you people. Like, we are like trembling in our combat boots over here on this side. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. I don't know that he dried it up, but okay, great. We have uh, the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings and Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. How is important for us? How important is it for us to do what God says to do? Our victories day by day even can cause future victories. Oh, I heard, I've heard about you guys. Y'all are a little weird. Yeah, but I also heard that people can come and get prayed for in your services and actually be healed of, of sicknesses. Y'all are weird, but we've heard of things. When we heard of it, verse 11, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God and is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will separate, I'm sorry, that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, we're coming back. We're going to win. So, so she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she said to them, go to the hill so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go your way. The men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Unless you have brought your father and mother and your brothers and your, all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will not be on, I'm sorry, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. So the picture here is that you hang a scarlet thread a scarlet rope out of your window, and that's going to allow us to save you. <laughs> we keep coming back to this idea, right? This, this thread that goes through. When we're under a covering, 
part of this is that we come under a blood covering. We come under something that allows us to be more and to, and to escape death that is completely due us because we start putting faith in the promise. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Say there when you are there. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire." Verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Everybody say Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everybody say Mighty God. Mighty God. Everybody say Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Everybody say Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. And that's, even if you just looked at those four things. And he is called many other things, right? Wonderful Counselor. He can console you. He can help you. He can speak to you when you're afraid. He's a mighty God. There's nothing that is too hard for Him to do in our lives. He is an everlasting Father. He is a Prince of peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from, the time, from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 53. If you can't tell, I kind of started off on the left part of the Bible, and I'm going towards the right part of the Bible. Alright? I just started early in the Scripture, and we're just kind of walking our way through. Why? Because uh, it's a typical Hebraic or Jewish customs that if we could show it to you in the Law and the Prophets and the writings, and in our case, the New Testament, we're going to say pretty much that the whole Bible can say this. Amen. That's what we're doing. A little secret there. That's not a secret at all, right? Isaiah chapter 53. Just like Isaiah 9, foretold, the word in Christianity is prophesied. Something that they could not see and that they spoke under the inspiration of the Lord, and it came to pass. Isaiah 53 is also that. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before Him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He has no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. <laughs> I, I love, I think there's even a, a TV series that's kind of, I, I guess it'll start tonight or it started recently, kind of playing on this Passover season. And in the, in the movies, the Jesus is always just, I mean, He's a good looking dude. You know, some steely blue eyes and darky, and you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> Natalie's saying, just like JJ. Right. <laughs> the Bible says that Jesus had, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. In other words, it's not just a physical representation that people were drawn to. There's something completely unique about our Savior. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. Verse 3, He was despised and rejected by men. Huh. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. You remember that part where I told you where He was set up as a model for us? You've got to understand what the model is about. Our, our, our TV shows and our movies and sometimes our thoughts of Christ... We, we, try to, we try our best to portray what He was like. The Bible says that part of what He was like was He was despised and rejected by people. Well, I thought He was loving and caring. He was. And completely offensive to some. Completely revolting to those who had not a heart towards God. Jesus repulsed people. He said things that offended them. 
Our goal is never to offend, but our goal is to say truth. And if that offends you, then unfortunately, maybe it says more about you than about us. Because it says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. He was familiar. Everybody say familiar. familiar. Just familiar. I'm very comfortable. I understand this. He was that with sorrows, like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God. Have you ever had someone who's trying to help you and you thought they were trying to do something inappropriate? Some, you're trying to help a, a friend or a relative and they attribute to you the worst characteristics of a human being. You are honestly trying to help and you get, you're, you're, so, oh, you're so prideful. I had a situation at a particular private school in Baton Rouge and someone that I was, I was trying to learn, God used this and I'm thankful for this time. And every time I tried to show genuine respect for authority, I got the comment directly from my authority, from my boss, you are so power hungry. When I said, yes, ma'am, I'll be glad to do it the way that you just instructed me. Those were my words. And the response was, oh, you're so power hungry. I think I'm in the wrong conversation here. Did I have something happen to me and say something that I did not say? Because I just said yes, and you fussed at me. Like, this is... This is exactly what happened to Jesus. Mine was in such a small proportion of what he had. It's not even worthy of me complaining over. Surely he took our infirmities and he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. This is Isaiah, 700 years before what happened to Jesus happened to him. He was pierced for our transgressions. When they hung him on the cross, they pierced him. They beat him. They put a crown of thorns upon him. We see how it represents. Uh, we learned from it. Uh, we learned about it on Wednesday night, how it was representing of the scapegoat. But you know what? They pierced him. He was crushed for our iniquities. My sin, I can look at it and say, oh, it was those Romans that crucified him. But you know what this scripture says? says, I crucified him. The reason that Jesus was crucified was me. I did it. Lord, I didn't know that I was doing that. But in my sin, I am the reason that he had to go to the cross. You are the reason that he had to go to the cross. And yet he went. And he knew because he knew that I couldn't clean my own room. I couldn't clean up my own mess. I can't, I don't have the capacity. I don't have the understanding. I don't have the love. I don't have the grace. I don't have the godliness to do this on my own. I can't. And Jesus said, it's okay because I can't. I'll tell you what, I'll take your sorrow. I'll take your infirmity. I'll take your sin. I'll take your death. And I'll take care of it for you. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He took a beating so that I could walk away. He took the crushing so that I could live. We all like sheep have gone astray. That's the amazing part of the Bible is it calls it right on the mark. Sheep are some pretty dumb animals. They can, you know what, one of the characteristics, as far as I know, is they will, they can get munching on the grass right in front of them. They just kind of put their head down, and they can just keep munching their way right out of safety. Away from the flock, away from the shepherd, they just kind of munch their way on off, and then they look up at one point, and they're like, uh-oh. Everybody? <laughs> My wife has this incredible ability. She can absolutely vanish in a store. If we didn't have cell phones nowadays, I'd be the one going, um, I lost my wife. Can you, can you call the intercom and 
Do you have a lost husband section? Because I'm going to go over there. Vanish, right? We all like sheep have gone astray. Isn't that true? You can, I mean, if you want to argue that, then I, I would just say that you're not being real with yourself. I have gotten in my own effort, in my own world of business, of financial responsibility, of work, of blah, blah, and I just kind of get off on my own, and pretty soon I'm away, I'm disconnected from those around me, I'm disconnected from the shepherd, and I'm going, I don't even know how I got here. If I knew how I got here, I could turn around and get back. Uh, ah. <laughs> help me. <laughs> Somebody help me. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. Can you imagine that? Now, now that was an individual picture, right? Can you imagine if there was no real shepherd and all of them just kind of started doing that? Into a hundred different directions? Into a hundred different places? Each of us has turned his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Wow. Read through the ending of the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pick a couple of the last chapters, and you'll see that when they accused Jesus, you know what he said? Nothing. I have a hard time if somebody accuses me of something. I want to answer. I've got to defend myself. No. He didn't. And I have the potential. (laughs) I have the likelihood that I'm wrong, or at least partially wrong. He did not have that potential, and he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living, from the transgression of my people was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. The fact that he ended up in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, It didn't say Joseph of Arimathea here in this passage, but he's telling you he ended up in a wealthy man's tomb. Every detail, every bit of the story, perfectly in line. Look at this, verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will, it was God's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life, And be satisfied by its knowledge. My righteous servants will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death. That's the model that we serve. We serve one who says. I will die so that you can live. (laughs) So there's the story right. Uh, I hope that you don't allow the the frailty of the communicator to lessen the impact of the true story. This message um, has resonated throughout the the nations. It's resonated throughout time. It It will resonate through eternity. The issue isn't any longer, is it a true story? Because that's great, man. We, we can see something, and, and I hope, I hope you're, you're like me, and where thought of Jesus Christ, the, the passion of the Christ was on one of the, we don't have cable, we have little, like literally we have rabbit ears, you know. Hey, Gabe, go move that. Right? We have rabbit ears, and passion of the Christ was on yesterday. Everybody else was out of the living room. Uh, I literally sat there, and I know, I mean, it's just a movie, right? And I wept. I was just like, that's just a TV portrayal. Here's the problem, though. If we leave it as a story, if we leave in our hearts and our minds, if we leave Jesus on the cross, or maybe we leave him in a tomb, or maybe we leave him to the retrospective historical picture, or if we leave Jesus in all these other places, then we, can, um, we don't have to actually confront what he did for us. Oh, Jesus was a... N- n- no, the, the whole point of this is that he is a risen. The whole point is, is that there is a resurrection power and it's something that I have to engage and I have to deal with. 
The whole point of this story is not for me to hear a story. I like, and I'm sorry it may show that my lack of spirituality, I actually like movies. I like going to the movies. They're fun. I enjoy them. Try not to pick terrible movies. I like, I like the escapism of a movie. I don't do it very much, but I like it when I get to go. Um, the whole point of this story is not to bring, present you with an escapism mentality. You can't go, man, that was a story, and I was so moved. I was moved. Okay, now I'm going to go back to my real life. And I'm going to ignore that. I'm just going to let that wash off and roll off my back, and now I'm going to go do what I want to do, because it was just a story. I mean, it was a great story. I mean, it was a classic if we don't do something with this story, if we don't allow this model to be the model that we live, and by this I mean, this, here's what I mean. He allowed himself to be crucified and was resurrected. So you know what I need to do? Allow myself to be crucified so that I can be resurrected. If he set the standard, um, I have to come up to the standard. If he took the sorrow and took the sin and took it without opening his mouth and died so that he could be resurrected, then I must do the same thing. Well, let's, let's take a look. Mark chapter 8. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> Mark 8 and verse 34. Mark 8:34 Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, "If anyone would come after me, if you want to allow me to be the model of your life, if you want to say that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it." If you want to keep, thing, keep doing things your own way because you find freedom and comfort there, then you will actually lose your life by trying to save it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit? You know what it is to forfeit? You forfeit your own soul. You've done something and you've been disqualified. You're going to forfeit your very soul. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me, this is Jesus speaking, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. If I can't stand before you and proclaim truth here, he will see that. And I will have to give an account. I'll... Because you know what it really means? I really didn't die with you. My own desire stayed alive and stayed so strong that I couldn't die to myself. I actually tried to save my own life and I ended up losing it. I've, I've really worked, well, kind of hard at least. And I want to I kind of feel good about it. But I've done it in a way that I forfeited my opportunity with you. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're wrapping this up. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit. Everybody say, live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. This is when you try to save your life, you'll lose it. When you lose your life for Jesus and the, the, for the gospel's sake, you can save it. For the spirit nature desires what is contrary, uh, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, <laughs> so that you do not do what you want. My other, there's reminiscent of other Pauline writings that say, eh, I don't always get this thing right. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. 
the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Everybody say obvious. You know it's obvious. Right? You, you see something and you're like, oh, that's obvious. That's what it is is what I think it is. What it is is what it looks like it is. It's obvious. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry, witchcraft. Oh, yeah, we'd all agree with that one. That one sounds, that one sounds pretty bad. Hatred. Hmm. Witchcraft may not be my first thought of what I would be guilty of. Hatred could. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. I kind of resemble that remark, if I'm not careful. Dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why are you Christians always trying to be so divisive? I'm not trying to be divisive at all. I just want you to come up to the standard that God has set. He says if you do these things, you're not going to be a part of the kingdom. I don't say that with thunder and fire and brimstone. I say that with a broken heart going, the same Jesus who died for me died for you. And if you're living like that, you will not inherit the kingdom. You can't. It's impossible. Why? You, you think God's going to let you through? You think all this story that he's threaded together so perfectly and the agony that he took, you think he's going to let you off the hook? Everyone else I'm going to require, but you? Well, I kind of like you. Come on in. That's not at all the way that this is based. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Mm. Sounds like it's more fun to be controlled by the Spirit. Who, who doesn't want to be peaceful or joyful or patient? I, I want to be all those things. I want, that's, I want you to see that in me. If I'm doing this right, you see it in me. Yeah, you might need to work on that one, but you'll see all of these things, right? Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, huh, they've crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. It is our job to crucify ourselves. Not in some weird physical way, but in a way that puts our trust and our hope in the God of all creation. Two more scriptures. John chapter 11. I should say two-ish more scriptures. Preacher's prerogative, right? John chapter 11. I love this. I'm just going to kind of cut to the heart of it. This is the story of Lazarus. Jesus comes. Lazarus has died. And I love this because I think these are words for us today. John 11, 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. <laughs> Doesn't that sound weird? <laughs> You'll live, even if you die. Well, wait a minute. It's either I live or I die. Well, when you start understanding that there's a spiritual principle that's laid down here, sometimes for me to live is to die. And even if my physical body dies, doesn't mean that I'm completely dead. So it is saying exactly what it needs to say. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. But you just said he'll die. And now you're saying he'll never die. And my answer to that is, yes. I choose to die to myself. I choose to put my complete hope, my complete trust, my complete affection, my complete energy, my complete of who I am. And I trust in the man who not only lived a perfect life, but he died a sinless death and rose in resurrection power. I'm going to put my whole, all of my eggs are in that basket. If I end up out on the street, living in a van down by the river, I've put my whole hope in this one. I've put my whole hope in Jesus Christ. If I look like a fool, well, that's an easy trip for me to make, right? I don't have to go very far to do that. I'd rather do it dying to myself every day so that I can truly live. Turn to Acts chapter 2. 
Acts chapter 2. The Bible says in another place that when you talk about Jesus, the, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to some. It's a stumbling block to some, and it's just pure foolishness to others. You're celebrating someone dying. Yes, but we're more celebrating that He's now alive. That He's not in the tomb. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Um, that's really kind of a, a mean question if you think about it. He was dead. That's why I'm looking for Him. Because He was dead, so I'm looking among the dead things. It's not like they were like completely irrational in what they were doing. Why do you look? Why dost thou look for the living among the dead? He was right here like five minutes ago. So, uh, right? Do we get the bigger picture? We understand that the angelic creatures that were there going, hey, he's not that anymore. This one who was afflicted and, and sorrowful and took all of our iniquities and was crushed and pierced, that is what he did. That is, who, that is exactly the picture he did. And you now know what he's doing now. Now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Now he's the one that has power and authority and he's causing all of creation to come in alignment to the will of God. He is now the one with fire in his eyes. This is now, he's not the one who's still on the cross. If your picture in your mind of Jesus is still that guy, you, he's crucified and resurrected. He's resurrected. We have the life. He is full of life. Um, Acts chapter 2. Well, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God, by, uh, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Sounds like a rosy little sermon that, that they're giving, right? You people killed him. Actually speaking to the people who killed him. Not figuratively, literally. He's talking to these people. Verse 24, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. By the way, if death was, it was impossible to keep its hold on him, then that's actually what we're going to celebrate here in a minute. If you have some errors in your life that are dead, when you follow this model of allowing yourself to be crucified with Him, Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Yet it's not I that live, it's Christ that lives within me. This life I live in the body, I live by faith in God. When we allow ourselves to be joined with Him in His crucifixion, you know what you also get to be joined with? The powers of His resurrection. This is a matter of life and death. It always is a matter of life and death. All of our exploits in our life are to try to keep us from the reality of what goes on. We need to break from the seriousness. No, you need to understand that there's life and death that hang in the balance of every decision that we make. Because if I'm going to be crucified with Him, then I can reign with Him. If I'm going to be crucified with Him, then I can be resurrected with Him. That's all of our symbols of Christianity. The ones that we really do that are, <laughs> that are right. This baptism. What are we saying? I'm, I'm going to die to myself so that I can be resurrected in you. Amen. When we say, Lord, come fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. What we're saying is, I can't clean my room on my own. I can't do this. I need you to help me. But I know that you will. I know that you will. I trust that you will. Because it's impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with your joy in your presence. Brothers, I, cannot, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. <laughs> David, thousand years before, 
spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. This was when the initial filling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was done, right there at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. This is Peter explaining it to the entire crowd, going, hey, they're all weirdos. I think they're a little uh, drunk. That was the accusation. He's like, no, 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 no. What you now see and hear is from God. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool, footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. <laughs> they were cut to the heart. Something changed. It moved from words to something that moved them on the inside and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, You want to know what to do with all this story? Here's what you do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord, our God, will call. Amen. What I'd like to do is this. I, I, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. I have um, about, um, you know, 40 other scriptures that we could get to. But I shan't. Threw people off with the shant there, didn't I? Kind of threw the emperor off his groove. What I'd like to do is give us time to respond to this, though. Um, we're, we're, we're coming to the end of our, our service here. The last thing that I want you to do, though, is miss an opportunity to actually respond to what God has already done. <laughs> My thought is this. What else do you need Him to do for you? Has He, has he not done enough already? Was what we talked about today, was that not enough for you? <laughs> was the fact that... He is willing to give you all power that you can go from death into life, that He can take your sorrows and your iniquities and your afflictions, your pain, your, everything that is wrong, and you can give that to Him and He can exchange it. He can give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for your mourning, the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Is that not enough for us? Why do we think that we can do this our own way? Why do I think in my own life that I can do it any other way than the way that He has prescribed? I don't like the fact that the Bible says that Jesus is the only way. He is the way and the truth and the life. I don't like that. Well, you cannot like it and you'll disqualify yourself from the kingdom. I wish it was different than that. No, actually, that's not true. I actually like the clarity. I actually like the fact that it is what it is. There's something about me as a man that goes, it is what it is, and I can either do it or not. And even when I don't have the strength, the secret is, is he's going to help us. Because we have to die so that we can live. We have to be crucified so that we can be resurrected. So I'm going to ask uh, Matt to start playing. I'd like everybody to stand with me. We're going to pray here.